Right now, I'm joined by Dr. Kathleen Richardson, whose specialty is in the ethics of robotics and is with a group called Campaign Against Sex Robots. Hello, Kathleen, and thank you so much. Um, we're happy that you agreed to speak with us. Would you explain a bit about your background as relates to the topics of, you know, child sex dolls or sex robots? Well, I, I'm actually an anthropologist by training, and when I, I've been studying robots in one guise or another for about 15 years. And when I came into robotics, I was looking at the growth area called social robotics, companion robotics. And then over the last two years, I, oh, I'm sorry, I've got an echo. Is that better? Uh, <clears throat> I think so, yes, that's better. Okay. So I'm an anthropologist by training. I've been studying robots in one form or another for 15 years. And over the last year and a half, really, I started seeing lots of references to sex robots. And I'm going to say why I think I have a problem with sex robots in a minute. <laughs> but um, I started seeing them everywhere. and. And what really struck me was there was this one um, feature video in the New York Times of a woman, a disembodied woman's head. It was a robot's head on a table with a, stung, a tongue sticking out. And I, and I then just thought to myself, there seems to be a culture now that seems to be promoting these kind of robots. And no one's really, no, re no one's really saying anything critical about them. So I thought I'd go back and have a look over the material, the arguments for sex robots or sex with objects. And, um, and it was there that I thought, this is an important issue. We need to address it. Uh, we need to nip it in the bud, actually. And from looking at adult sex robots, I have also looked at how they're developing child sex dolls. And this is, um, I think, a very worrying development as well. Absolutely. Please tell our listeners about Campaign Against Sex Robots and what your philosophy is on sex toys in the form of any human likeness. Yes. Um, I get a lot of, you know, I launched the campaign in September 2015 on the back of a paper I wrote saying that we need to address this issue of sex robots. And I approached the issue primarily um, because... The people who were behind sex robots weren't saying they were sex toys. They weren't just saying, you know, they're like vibrators and dildos. They were saying, you can have a relationship with these objects. You know, you can come along and, you know, there won't be any consequences of you interacting with um, an object, really. And, and I actually have been studying autism for probably about five, five or six years now. And there are huge problems, right, with inability to relate to other human beings. It's a profoundly um, difficult problem. And if we're encouraging, it's not, you know, for me, having relationships with other human beings isn't just something that's optional. It's actually essential, makes us human, keeps us human, in fact. And so I, I noticed this trend that was saying, no, you don't need another human being anymore. You can have... You can have a robot, you can have a chatbot, you can have some artificial entity, right, to have as your companion or have a relationship with. So that's how I actually came to the topic, um, thinking about how these, how this new kind of idea about relations with things uh, was, was gaining more ground and, and gained a particular uh, perspective through sex robots. 
Sorry, go on. Oh no, that's okay, go ahead. Um, and actually when I launched the campaign, one of the things I noticed is that the idea for the robots primarily was drawn from prostitution. So um, one of the authors of one of the books on the topic said that the reason why it's possible for humans to have sex with machines is because we already have prostitution. And it's possible today to go out into the world and have sex with someone that you have no feelings about, right? So if that's possible, then this is possible. So that was the first step that I took, looking at those ideas um, about the interconnections between these, these kinds of robots and arguments for prostitution. And then the more I got into it, you know, as the campaign uh, developed, the more I realized pornography was also an important factor. You know, the way the dolls are shaped, um, you can have different size breasts, waist, hair color. They're very racialized, just like, just like the mod, you know, women are in pornography. And then as the campaign developed and there was sex, um, child sex dolls, I, I realized that pedophilia was also very important in driving this culture of robotics. So basically, you have a trinity there of uh, prostitution, pornography, and child abuse. That's basically the inspirational backdrop to the development of these robots. In January, you released a statement on your website, campaignagainstsexrobots.org, on the child sex dolls being manufactured by Trotla in Japan. And in it, you said, we implore the Japanese government to take action and prohibit sales of these disturbing and abusive artifacts. Are you aware of Japan's overall tolerance and climate towards the likeness of children and infants being portrayed in sexual acts and what they think this achieves for their citizens? I think there is, there's always been, um, in many societies, abuse of children, right? Uh, abuse and torture of children because children are vulnerable and they have less power. And in some cultures like Japan, they have have seemed to promote paedophilia as a kind of acceptable, normal sexual behavior. So I know in asking the Japanese government to take steps about this, it would mean them really having to address what's going on in their own culture about how infants and children are basically portrayed. But I, I, want, to, I want to stop and think about this subject in another way. You see, for me, the abuse of children is not a biological sexual act, it's a political act. For me, politics is about power. And if an adult sexually exploits a young child, that is a political act. So um, one of the arguments for these sex robots, for example, and for the adult looking ones, is that somehow they're gonna magically reduce pedophilia in society or they're going to magically re reduce prostitution. But imagine in the 19th century when the idea of racial prejudice was considered biological and innate. And some roboticists came along and said, well, we're going to accept that it's innate, right? But what we're going to do is we're going to create some robots of color. And we're going to send these robots of color out so that white people can address their racial hatred and prejudice and exploit these, these robots. We would all thought that was ridiculous, wouldn't we? But we seem to be living in a culture today where, where people, educated people, I may add, right? Not that that gives them any special privilege, <laughs> um, but, um, you know, but 
these people are saying this is a viable alternative to this abhorrent practice. And to think that it could possibly have some actual positive effect, it's just, it's just living in la-la land. It's just, you know, a complete illusion, a, illusion and a distortion of reality. Right. Very strong points. Do you foresee any means at all of repairing a culture which has accepted and even nurtured repressed desires under the basis that they can keep it separate from respectable life and obligation? And if so, what would this level of becoming well look like? I think we have to start talking about the exploitation of children as a political issue. At the moment, we seem to have colonized the subject within a very narrow um, psycho, um, a, a kind of psychiatric, biomedical issue, which seems to afflict a few unfortunate individuals um, who then have these impulses in society. That is absolutely ridiculous, right? This is, that's not what the exploitation of children is all about. What the exploitation of children is all about is people with more power using their power get their needs met. And some of these needs are their adult sexual needs, right? But children cannot meet adult sexual needs, and nor should they ever, ever be in a position where they have to. So we need to have a political discussion. And that means, and you know, thinking about who has power and who uses it inappropriately, who uses it violently, who uses that power coercively. And we need to keep having that discussion over and over and over and over again until things start to change. And we can really, you know, the fact that people have openly, openly promoted these dolls just shows how widespread paedophilic culture is now in our society. I mean, that, you know, there's, there's a kind of, um, I guess, smuggling it in through these, these kind of other peripheral forms. And obviously I know that a doll is a doll and, it, and it's an object, right? And it's not a human child. I know that. But everything that's gone into creating that doll is inspired by paedophilia and child abuse and child torture. When someone has access to an object made in the image of a child intended for sexual gratification, what do you think this does to their overall mentality and what is your basis uh, for opinion on this? Well, once again, it produces more objects in the world that reaffirm, that confirm that, that it's okay to abuse your power coercively, right? And I don't believe for one second that producing child sex dolls will do anything in the world to stop paedophilia. And, and I know this because there's already evidence for it, right? There are already, there's already so, me, so many child abuse images in the world that you could stop producing child, child abuse images. But they don't stop. And why don't they stop? because it's a perpetual desire to have control, perpetually, perpetually. And it just keep, it's like a vicious circle. And it will just keep repeating itself over and over again. And these objects will come along, and then you know these objects might fade away, and then something else will come along. But these objects just represent, these, these are just telling us about what's really going on in human society, right? And, what they're telling is something very disturbing about human society. These next couple of questions are very similar, but 
What do you think pedophiles experiencing these sex dolls will be teaching themselves about expectations of sex with children? And in what way would their fantasy world differ from the realities if they were to become bored with the piece of plastic and desire to escalate to the real thing? Well, when it, when it comes to politics, right, we have this idea that as a person, you can think whatever you like in your head, right? You can, um, you can think, oh, I really hate that person, you know, I'm, I'm so angry with them. And that's, and that's, that's one but once you actually start to say, I'm going to legitimately start to explore this in the actual world, right? Then that's adding another layer of complexity to it. And it's taking it out of the individual um, person's consciousness and into the world of things. And once it's there, it becomes part of all the other things that are already present in that world. So it doesn't stand alone. It's not some standalone object. It's already circulating with hundreds of thousands of images of children being tortured. So we cannot isolate these artifacts, right, from the other kinds of experiences or the other kinds of products that are now available in the world um, of abuse. Um, if a man were to use one of these child sex dolls and he were to sort of build up a desensitization to the topic itself or to, or to thinking this was actually a, a doable reality, do you think that he, in, in his own fantasy world, is completely unaware of what the reality would be if he were to target an actual child? I think already if, if, um, if someone is thinking about living out their exploitative ideas towards children, I think they've already lost touch with reality. I mean, I, and let me explain what I mean by that. I, I believe, and this is what the campaign believes, we believe in a world of relations, which means that through our relationships with others, we take into account, through our empathy with others, what they're actually thinking and feeling, and we take that into account when we're deciding to interact with them. We don't impose our subjectivity on others because we have more power. Um, and we know from historical experience, right, that that has been basically the way in which relations, especially gender relations, have been organized and relations between ages, children and adults. So it's not even possible, it's not even possible to abuse a child if you truly took into account what that child was thinking and feeling. It's just not possible. To do it, you must, you must basically lack empathy for a child. So I think to continue to experiment with this, with other forms, as I said, it's, I think the idea that somehow, you know, someone's going to have sexual feelings for children, and then that's going to be an isolated incident that they can organize around robots, it's just ridiculous. It comes because it's already out there. There's a, there's a culture and communities that basically profit from torturing children and and so the individual act you know if these dolls are used the individual act is just continually reinforced that as a possible acceptable sexuality and let me just tell you what the the owner of the Chotler um, organization said they said it's okay whatever your fantasy is it's okay right this is a very this is a very distorted and abusive idea. No, it isn't okay what your fantasy is. 
because we live in a, a world of relations with others, and because we develop empathy, um, we can't just impose, right, other our sexuality on others coercively. We can only consent with others. And as I said, children cannot consent to um, sexual relations to adults. They are just not developmentally able to. They're not politically able to. I, uh, I read this article, um, I believe it was on Salon, and I believe it was by a man named Todd Nickerson, and he, uh, it was something along the lines of, I'm a pedophile, not a monster, and um, he, he explains that he would never act on his pedophilia, but then there was this other sort of response article to that, uh, sort of an expose where a man showed um, all of Todd Nickerson's past uh, internet uh, interactions regarding pedophilia and how he explicitly said that um, it's society's problem and not his and that if society did not have a problem with pedophilia he certainly would act on it and he seemed to prescribe um, or assign all of this agency to children as if they somehow had some kind of equal say um, in the relationship like he describes how this five-year-old girl would repeatedly come on to him and how he thought that pedophiles were needed because children seem to need them as much as pedophiles need children and that they help each other somehow um, discover sexuality and that parents were holding children back from this. So I think that like when you mentioned, um, when you mentioned sort of taking their own subjective thoughts and, and putting it onto others as if children had an equal say, it really reminded me of that because this is I think how a lot of these predators are thinking. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. It's um, it comes from a very um, almost a, it comes from the idea of a human being, right, as a non-relational being, that somehow you exist in the world, but the world is basically others basically exist for your gratification. And men are encouraged to think like this, that particularly women and children are for their gratification. They're encouraged to think about it through images, through stereotypes, um, you know, even watching innocuous dramas, you can see this kind of attitude that men desire women as objects for them to consume or children for them to consume. This is all part of it. This is not a relational consciousness. This is a very disembodied and a very disturbing consciousness that we need to address in our society, in our culture. And, you know, the, the thing about sex robots is actually you can't have a sex robot, right? Um, because sex, human beings and all living beings have sexed bodies. That means we have, um, from the moment we're born and we come into the world, we have sex bodies, we have organs and hormones and um, uh, reproductive capacities. And so we are sexed beings. As living beings, we are sexed beings. Now, an object is not a sexed being. You can decorate it with certain qualities. You can put breasts on it and um, give it a fake vagina, right? But it, the object itself is none of those things. But you've got to remember where um, sex robots, you know, the idea for them. They're more accurately, should be called masturbatory robots. <laughs> but let's call them sex robots for a minute. Because they come from fields in human sexuality, male sexuality, that is non-reciprocal, non-relational, they, they exist within that worldview. They're already set within a worldview where men are encouraged to be in the world sexually, 
without the without even taking into account the thoughts and feelings and the subjectivity and the personhood of another human being. They can just go into the world, right, and just basically project whatever whatever violent um, uh, or sexual fantasies they have on what they consider to be objects, which is women and children. But I tell you now, as a woman, right, I am not an object and neither are children. And so what needs to be elaborated around this idea is a whole rationalization system to justify it. So the whole medical literature saying that, you know, this is why I think we need to address um, child abuse as a political issue. It's a political exploitation of children. It's not a biomedical innate issue that men are helpless to control. And we know this, right? We know this from paedophiles' own accounts of what they do. They don't just go for any child, right? They won't. What they'll do is they'll single out a vulnerable child. They won't single, and this is why children in care are often the targets of this kind of uh, behavior and abuse. So they're always, you know, these paedophiles, they are actually consciously going out and selecting victims in the world to act on. And that is a political act. And these children need political protection from these um, from these abusers. I think that you have essentially already answered this, but could you describe for us how the persecution of homosexuality, for example, differs from the persecution of pedophilia as a legitimate sexual orientation? Yeah, well, that comes up all the time. If ever you want to justify anything, all you have to do is refer to the... Um, you know, how psychiatry criminalized homosexuality. Um, when it comes to psychiatry, psychiatry is not some neutral profession out there, right, that um, somehow um, develops a kind of neutral worldview of what's adequate or inadequate. It is, it is inspired by norms, right, norms that are occurring at a political, at a particular time. Now, the reason why, uh, and norms do change over time, that's true, but adults, you know, the, the, um, the, the concessions, not the concessions, the equal treatment of homosexuals was about the equal treatment of adult homosexuals. And as adults, as, as adults, you know, people can make judgments about who they want to love and who they don't want to love. There was nothing in decriminalizing homosexuality that said, um, yeah, for now this is an excuse to go and exploit other people. But people, these, these communities, like um, those who say we can have relationships with sex robots and child abusers, they look to um, homosexuality. And I would say if there's, any, like, if there's anyone who is gay out there listening to this, they need to knock this on the head right now that it's not okay to keep referring to adults adult sexual practices with other consenting adults as the foundation for justifying exploitation of people, um, particularly between adults and children. Definitely. Um, a man was arrested recently in Indiana for the rape and murder of a one-year-old, and his friends said he watched a lot of sadistic porn and was attracted to young girls. What role do you observe the sexualization of children in our society playing in these crimes and how would child sex dolls either contribute to or deter that? And also, 
What would you say to someone who claims a child's sex doll would have saved that baby? Um, right, so I'm very sorry to hear about this, this child and I really am committed to making sure that children are protected worldwide, right? And this is why the campaign really supports developing a critical language, right, against pedophilia, child abuse and child torture. Now, unfortunately, what happens is just like you said there, either you have people saying that somebody did something because of something else, right? As if um, individuals, as if males can't develop critical awareness. Well, I guarantee that whoever did that awful murder, right, of that child, didn't do it to every child he met. He selected his child, he did it. We've got to hold people accountable for their acts and what they do. Now. There's also the truth that we're living in a culture that basically supports violence towards women and children. And not only um, supports it, but sexualizes it, makes it erotic. So not only do you witness a violent act, you simultaneously have, have, a, have an orgasm alongside of it, right? So you get these two, it's like um, a charioteer with two chariots. Uh, one is like violence, and the other is pleasure. And they're both occurring at the same time. And that is the message that men are getting, this repeated message that your pleasure, you can have your pleasure. This is your, this is your reward, if you like, for being a man. You can have your pleasure. And you can use your power um, coercively against others. So I think we've got to stop looking at child abuse imagery and adult pornography as two separate things. We've got to see pornography as all the same. It's all the same practices. It's practices of people with more power exploiting and using the bodies of people with less power. And not only using them, but using them violently and coercively. And, you know, the annihilation of women, the annihilation of women and children is something that is reproduced continually within pornographic imagery. If you watch some of that pornographic imagery, they bring those women almost to the brink of death. That's what they do through those acts. It's like symbolic death that reoccurs over and over again. And we live in this culture, right? And the thing is, unless we, have, we really explain what these images are about and develop a critical discourse about it, a real widespread critical discourse, People's boyfriends or girlfriends, in fact, go away and they think it's innocent. You know, they think that the people in the images, if they're adults at least, have consented to it, that that's what they want. Because these are ways in which to justify the exploitation of human beings. That whatever argument you will come forward with, right, to um, prove, you know, exploitation, there's an army, there's a billion, you know, this is a billion dollar industry they will have people who will have some counter argument for you and the fact is they are bigger and stronger it is like Goliath right but I really believe in David so um, I think we need a lot more Davids out there in the world or Davinas <laughs> I believe in David too yeah good <laughs> um, you already um, partly addressed this but is there any evidence to your knowledge whatsoever that sex dolls prevent incidents of sexual assault on women or children? And what psychological basis do people have for those claims? 
There is no evidence whatsoever. I, I'm an ethicist on a European project, and um, on our project, we have a clinical team exploring the development of a technology, exploring whether it can therapeutically help children with autism, and we have uh, ethicists who think about the implications, the impact of this. There is no research study out there, right? Now, let me caution this, because I know from working with scientists that scientists will always produce a result that they want. So science itself is littered with experiments that have failed that they don't publish results on. So even if there is a study out there, unless it will support this argument, it won't be published. But someone's going to do it. Someone's going to come along because that's, you know, that's how powerful this culture is, this culture of exploitation. And who, you know, the people to exploit are those with the least power, and children have the least power of any of us, right? So, but there is no evidence out there. It's entirely conjecture. Because it's, you've got to remember, it's inside a framework of abuse to begin with. It's already within inside a framework of uh, illusion and fantasy and distortion. So for, for, it's a logical kind of outcome. I'm going to give you another example. I hope you don't mind me talking about Aristotle. No. No, okay. <laughs> so Aristotle wrote this, you know, the great Greek philosopher, he wrote a book called Politics. And in this book, the first section of politics is about slaves, women, and children. And basically, slaves, women, and children are all property of men. And as property, they can be exploited, right? Because you can't exploit persons, you can only exploit things. But, you, but what you can do is you can turn people into property. So there's this classic quote in Aristotle, and he says, tools can be animate or inanimate. A slave is a living piece of property. Now, people think, you know, we don't live in that world. Ancient Greece is long gone. There are just ruins. But that idea has persisted that there are animate tools, that human beings can be animate tools. And let me just tell you about slavery in ancient Greece. Firstly, there was ne never any animate tools. This was basically Aristotle rationalized exploitation for an economic elite. He provided the framework for, for justifying the exploitation of human beings. Human beings have always been human beings, right? They, they didn't just stop being human beings after slavery ended. The second thing is that in providing this rationalization, you can then go ahead and exploit people. So he occupied a very important role in that society. And we think today, well, um, you know, if we look at the relations that are allowed to persist between men and women and children, that relation of inequality still persists in our society. We have new language, we have new ways of describing it. Today they call it free choice or, you know, it's a kind of innate biological um, uh, impulse. But it's all the same rationalization and justification for inequality. But it's illusionary, it doesn't exist, it's not real. Do you believe the need created the dolls or that the dolls foster the need? The need being the urge people claim to feel to somehow act on their pedophilia. Like, are, are we curing them or enabling them and growing their paraphilia? These are, sex dolls are epiphenomena. 
right? There are hundreds and thousands and millions of children in the world being sexually abused right now. And they're our priority. It's our priority. However, what we can do through this issue, and what I try to do through the campaign, is address how widespread this culture is, that you then produce these artifacts, which then people come along quite, um, you know, <laughs> some ac ac respectable academics and say, oh yes, this is, this is a good way to treat paedophilia. It's all part of the new contemporary ways of rationalizing exploitation. It doesn't create it, it's, an, it's a consequence of real exploitation of children. But it's not going to reduce it either. Let me just stress that. It won't reduce it because what will just happen, it will just keep being created over and over again. It will just be elaborated, more and more elaborated, more and more elaborated. And there is a core kind of um, message in my campaign, but also in my, my own research, which is there's been this persistent desire through economic history, right, to break down the distinction between a person and a thing. Because if persons, you can't exploit persons, right? Adult males in ancient Greece couldn't exploit each other. And there are restrictions on men, how men can exploit each other, right, even today. But if you, if you then claim that a person is not quite human, and they're less than human, they're a piece of property, or they're an animate tool, then you can exploit them, you have a clear, rationale for exploiting them. Now I want to look at that the flip side because now we have a range of people saying um, artifacts uh, should have rights, machines should have rights and what they are actually doing by doing that because they think oh this is great you know because like you know women didn't have rights and, and gay people didn't have rights um, and we didn't have any more rights and, and now we can have machine rights. It all seems like a very progressive outlook, doesn't it, that we're all heading in. But it's not. It's actually not. The desire to say machines should have rights, right, comes from a way to dehumanize persons, to make them more compar comparable and equivalent. So if you can convince people that artifacts, right, are more agentive than they are, you can actually you know, reduce, and you can do things to the artifacts, you can actually impact on how you think about persons too. So it has this kind of, there's this process going on at the moment, trying to dissolve differences between a person and a thing. And I think that takes us right back to politics, to Aristotle, and to justifications for slavery. In some sense, could child sex dolls be practiced for the real thing, whether a man knowingly or not is desensitizing himself to the concept of the act and working up to it? Um, and do, do you think that this is something most child predators consciously admit to themselves, or do they self-delude in order to carry on and feel heroic about a sense of abstinence? Um, I've been speaking on Twitter to some proud pedophiles who insist they have nothing to feel ashamed of in their alleged sexual orientation. And when it was obvious that I was judging them, one remarked how this gave them less incentive to be law-abiding citizens in that regard. Yes. I mean, we should all pity um, the, the child abuser, right? I mean, that is the culture at the moment. This is, this is the new kind of rationalization creeping in, that they're helpless, they can't help it, and that um, they were enticed to it by children who had, you know, it's just ridiculous. 
It needs to be addressed as it is. Children do not have sex with adults. Children are abused and raped by adults. There is no sex taking place, right? Um, it, it comes back again to the idea of just because you are coercing and forcing someone into a sexual act with you, a human being that is, doesn't mean they're actually participating. We know this from prostitution, right? You go along and you put down your money and you get a woman mainly, but I know there can be other, there can be men and transgendered um, people. And, and basically, it's not about them, it's about you, it's about your needs, your desires, your wants. And of course, if you keep going into that environment, right, and you see that the woman isn't crying, or you see that the child is not quite, mm, doesn't look quite old enough, but you know, you've decided that what you want is more important, that your needs and wants and desires are more important. So I think that's what goes on. And you know, this whole culture of the poor paedophile, I don't think it helps anyone. I certainly don't think it helps people who have these feelings, right? It must be quite excruciating to have these sexual feelings for an adult. There is no doubt about that. But actually, what would be really helpful for paedophiles to understand, for people who torture children, is that this is a political act, this is a political exploitation that they're engaging in over children. They are not engaging with, with anyone who is consenting at all. They, the children are not participating at all. And until you can get that, until you can address that core confusion, right, you can't actually address anything to do with child abuse. It's impossible. Because at the core of it, you've got to accept a person is different, right? A person is different. A person has their own thoughts and feelings and they're separate from you. And they have their own desires and wants. And we know from so many um, accounts of children and child development and just, we know as children ourselves, right? It is not possible for any of what adult paedophiles talk about to be actually true. It's all coming from themselves. It's an illusion that they have to create inside themselves in order to legitimate what they do or don't do for that matter. One last question. What is it we need to do as a society to wipe out pedophilia or even sex robots and sex dolls and bring back the awareness of what healthy sexuality actually is and make that even desirable again? To come back to the chariot metaphor, I think there's always um, there's always a chariot, a charioteer in all of us, right? With with the kind of society, with the kind of horse that is relational, if you like, and the kind of horse that is exploitative and hierarchical and coercive and abusive. And basically, the way our society is structured is it relies on hierarchy. It, re it relies on people's ability to exploit others. So because everyone is participating in some kind of exploitation of others, right, and being exploited at the same time, they are kind of in this world, they're in this worldview that they can't escape. It's a vicious circle, they can never get out of it because they can never have the most power, right, and they'll never have the least power. What we need to do is to step outside of it and, and just basically um, say that is enough and we are not going to participate in it. 
And the way we don't participate in it is to really describe what it is going on in that world and how it operates and how it works. Because if you're, if you're in it, um, you can't actually do anything about it. So I think what we need to do, people need to write blogs, they need to write entries, they need to do research, right? They need to have conversations with people and not just in a, in a bar one evening, but sit around and develop some theories, some ideas, get together and think about these ideas more uh, widely and critical. And I'll tell you a story from my own background because um, I, I actually wasn't a feminist until about five weeks ago. <laughs> I, I, um, I was always interested in politics for, as a young woman and I became very active in it. But I took on the idea, as a lot of people do, right, that feminism was anti-men, that it was anti-sex, that, um, you know, there were pearl-twirling um, <laughs> uh, feminists, all these things, until until my own consciousness developed more independently, right? My own research, as I said, my own research into human social relations developed more, my own research into robots. And as a result of developing the campaign, um, every, you know, it was feminists who really came to my side. They just really got where I was coming from. And I wasn't coming from a feminist perspective. I was coming from a, a you know, an autism perspective almost. Not an autism perspective, but I was, my research was primarily focused on how, how difficult it is as a human being to live in a world without relationship. That's where I came from. How difficult it is for human beings who have difficult attachments. That's where I came from. So um, about a few weeks ago, I read a book called Pornography and Civil Rights by Catherine McKinnon and Andrea Dworkin. And it just absolutely blew my mind. It did. It was, it was like they understood about this taking a position against this um, inequality in a profoundly, radically different way that I'd never read before. So for me, you know, for me, that was my journey that I was on. And it took me a long time to get here. I might have read Andrew Dworkin and Catherine McKinnon when I was 20. It might have not meant anything. But I, I read it now, five weeks ago, and I recognize something in it. So we've got to develop a kind of community and a culture of engagement with these ideas. We've got to keep putting them out there, because even though it took me you know, a good 20 years to read this book, I've read it now, and the fact that it was there, and I could use it, and I can make use of it now in my own work is really important. So let's keep developing the ideas and communicating with others. I'm so happy that your voice is in the conversation and that you are bringing this discussion to society with more attention because this is very important and very needed. Um, so thank you again for taking the time. And this is a really important topic. So your input is, is very valued here. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. To our listeners, I wish to add that you can hear the extended interview, which is quite lengthy, on our website under the interviews tab. Please check that out. There's really a lot to hear and lots of good information.